Stranger Still podcast. I'm Kathleen. And I'm Miles. And welcome back to our character by character Stranger Things rewatch, where we follow our 11 main characters throughout the series. I love this series so far. <laughs> We're now about halfway through Stranger Things. It's about the cast oh and the characters God. at its heart. And so Lucas is going to be our number six. I believe, yes, he's our six. Yeah, so our halfway six through review. today's episode, we will be halfway through. All right, here we go. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, YouTube at StrangerStill22. Subscribe, share, review us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for our middle character, the wrist rocket slinging, firework bringing, Dustin Fine singing, the sweeter, bolder, better, new Coke enthusiast, it's Lucas Sinclair! <laughs> Oh, that's right. He's the one that's a fan of the new Coke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, I'm really excited for this uh, Lucas episode because he slowly becomes one of my favorite characters. And he, he does. does not start off that way. I'm not a huge fan of him in season one. <laughs> well, season one, he's the skeptic, right? That's true. Uh, well, we meet him. He's a ranger in the Dungeons and Dragons party. He's one of the kids. Of course. And when they discover Eleven, he is... Not a fan. No, he's not saying at all. there's something wrong with her. He's saying she's probably a psycho. <laughs> Wouldn't want her in my house. You know, put her back in the loony bin. He is not a fan. Why? Why is he so immediately distrusting of Eleven? Which is in pure contrast to Mike. You know. Okay. In all reality, this is probably realistically what would happen if a boy his age met a strange young girl like Eleven. His reactions are honestly probably more realistic out of all of them, especially Mike. And I think he's frustrated with Mike because, uh, you know, like telling an adult about Eleven is what they should be doing in mm -hmm. any normal situation. And yet Mike completely disagrees. So to Lucas, I think it's like, it's not logical to him to automatically trust Eleven the way Mike does. And I think that really frustrates Lucas. And of course, further along they go, the more attached Mike becomes, which just like inflates that anger. I don't know. I relate more to Mike in season one with his empathy and everything for Eleven. So like, that's why I have such a hard time for Lucas. But I think Lucas's reaction really makes sense. Yeah, Lucas's reaction is 99% of people. And even we as the audience do get a little taste of the way you would normally react to a little superpower girl walking around in the woods because the way we first meet Eleven where she's kind of looking sort of sinister, stopping the fan with her mind and wanting ice cream from Benny. Like we, yeah. at first, our reaction is, uh, who is this What's little superpower girl? Here, right? And I think what Mike sees the good in Eleven is ultimately the superpower of the kids. And Lucas does get there. Yeah. The fact that they are ever able to see the good in this little superpower girl running around the woods is amazing. It Lucas really doesn't is. do it at first. Mike does, and Lucas eventually gets there. But yeah, yeah, I think you're right. The the distrust, though, there is something more. He's actively angry. I mean, he's act. He calls her like a loon, a psycho, like something wrong with her. We can get the freak back. Like he is. <laughs> He is pretty harsh well, on her. I think he gets more <laughs> angry the more Mike like is accepting of yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he 
I love that he doesn't just leave the party at first yeah. sign of friction. You know, he he's like, okay, well, fine, we'll we'll do this plan where we're gonna have Eleven sleep the night in the basement and then run around the house and go get Mike's mom, and then finds out that the plan didn't go well, and he's still with them. They're searching for Will. They hear Will on the ham radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the breaking point comes basically once Eleven. Uh, so Dustin figures out the compass plan, and Eleven uses her powers to point their compasses away from the lab. Sabotage. That's the true breaking point, yeah. which is like six episodes in. I love that the party is strong enough not to just be torn up asunder yeah, upon the right? first thing that goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, and in the junkyard, we get the climactic fight. Use us, all of us. She helped just enough so she could get what she wants, food and a bed. She's like a stray dog. Screw you, Lucas. No, screw you, Mike. You're blind, blind because you like that a girl's not grossed out by you. But wake up, man. Wake the hell up. By this point, of course, Lucas is pissed. (laughs) But I think it's like he's not only like he... He's mad. Obviously, he's built up this anger over time, but he's also frightened of Eleven, and he feels this huge sense of betrayal at Mike for siding with Eleven this whole time so far. So, like, I think Lucas sees things objectively and logically, and to this and to this point, he's been unable to like really understand Eleven the way that Mike does. So, I don't know. The thing I love about Stranger Things is how well they realistically depict human emotions and their interactions between different personality types. It's just they make it so believable that Lucas would react this way. Yeah, he's talking about actions, not words. She may say all this stuff, but Will is not here. Right. Now let me talk to you about the actions that she is receiving. She's receiving shelter. She's receiving, you know, comfort and mm-hmm. and I can And then she lies. Exactly. So look at how Lucas is looking at the end result and right. pu- putting together a, a realistic story. Yeah. And he also knows that Mike would have a reason not to see this story because, as he says in that clip, you're just relieved that one girl isn't grossed out by you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, again, love this. I had a, I guess I just, one of the things that makes season one so great is, yeah. is hard to describe but one of the things is that it feels real, as you yeah, just said. it totally does. And I know I already said this, but the fact that they don't have this fight until the sixth episode is so crucial. The fact that Lucas doesn't storm off right after Eleven slams the door in right. his face or that right after she leads him to Will's house. Remember, she leads him to Will's house and she's like, he's here. And they're mm-hmm. like, no, this is his house. But he actually is there, but in the upside down and they right. can't understand that they don't split up there. That when... Will's body is found, it's Lucas who comforts Mike. Because Mike is the one saying, you were... Then Mike turns on 11. <clears throat> and Lucas right, is, right. is comforting, and Mike, don't do this. All of that feels like a well-earned and really strong you know, friend group. Yeah. And this breaks it. This junkyard fight. And of course, they actually get into a physical fight in which 11 throws Lucas across the junkyard into a rusted Ford bed and he's in the concussion protocol from there. (laughs) Uh, So Lucas storms off at that point, both emotionally and physically hurt and 11 goes away. So Lucas and Dustin eventually go over to Lucas's house and offer the olive branch. Hey, 
I was wrong. I'm sorry. Mike puts out his hand, but there's a sticking point. Lucas says, I won't shake your hand unless you agree that Eleven cannot join the party. And that ultimately... Yeah, which Mike refuses to agree to. Yeah, Lucas. So Lucas follows the compass by himself. What I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. He just goes do the does the plan again. Mm-hmm. Lucas follows the compass plan by himself to the lab, and he observes that the lab is actually bad people, uh-huh. and they are on their way. And he's like, okay, the bad men might actually be real. And in the chaos, gets there to the Wheeler house, warns them they're riding out on bikes. Those fans are going to kill them. And Eleven flips a van up over their heads and oh. saves the day. Just remember watching that scene for the first time. It was so badass. Now, once they get back to the junkyard at that point and Eleven has flipped the van, why does Lucas change his mind right there? You know, again, I think Lucas is a very logical thinker and he makes decisions based on what he can physically see. So when the compass needle leads him to the lab and he sees those military trucks, he sees all those vans loading up and leaving. It's too many things all together to not be sinister. Then, of course, the van chase, the uh, the chase, the van chase happens. And this all drives Lucas to realize that maybe Mike was right about Eleven. Maybe they should trust Eleven. Yeah. Well, he he believes and absolutely commits that Eleven is lying about the bad men. And then he sees the bad men. Uh-huh. He sees it with his own eyes. And he needed to see it with his own eyes. They're yeah. aligned. He is willing to admit it. I love that about yeah. Lucas. Yes. So from there, they get swept up into the main plot. Hopper comes, saves them from the lab who has found them there. They set about their plan to find Barb. She did. To find <laughs> Will. and He alive. <laughs> he alive. <laughs> and they, they because they did the whole bathtub stuff at the, at the yeah. school. The adults and teens completely abandoned <laughs> the kids at the school. I know. Lucas is all for it. He's like, hey, we're staying put. That's what we're supposed to do. But the lab shows up. And then the Demogorgon <laughs> shows up and ultimately uh, eats some of the lab after Eleven blows up some of their heads. And the Demogorgon <laughs> chases the kids into the room. Is this the end of Lucas, Dustin, Mike, and Eleven? No. Because the wrist rocket saves the day and pins the Demogorgon up against the chalkboard. Okay, a slight (laughs) assist from Eleven. No, it's that wrist rocket. No, (laughs) I think it is funny because he's just flinging. I think he does like four of them. He's like, come on, come on, come on. There we go. (laughs) And of course, Eleven evaporates both herself and the Demogorgon and saves. The day. And we end with the Dustin Farted song. We do. Orchestrated by Lucas. Yeah, one month later, he had to compose. Every great composer. <laughs> Dustin Farted. I swear, our, our podcast has talked more about the Dustin Farted song than any <laughs> other Stranger Things podcast out there. I challenge yeah, I you. I think it's worth mentioning. I, I challenge you to find any Stranger Things podcast that talks about that song more than us. <laughs> I compared it to <laughs> Beethoven's greatest symphonies oh my God. <laughs> on our rewatch. All right, let's move on to season two. So season two, one year later, Lucas and the kids, uh, we pick up with them now in another grade, and they're, they got an arcade in town, and they find out that their scores have been beaten by Mad Max. Oh, yeah. And we when, love Max. <laughs> we love Max, and when so do they. When they realize that Mad Max is a girl who is awesome at video games, Lucas and Dustin have 
instant crushes. <laughs> <laughs> they ask her to go trick-or-treating, and then upside-down stuff begins happening with Will, and they're kind of shutting Max out because right. there's weird stuff going on. There's a dart. There's a there's a flaying that's potentially happening with Will. He's going into some now memories. Max is getting more and more upset about being shut out, and Lucas makes the decision to tell Max everything. Stupid. Do you accept the risk? Yeah. Sure, fine. I accept the risk. Let's hear it. Last year, Will didn't get lost in the woods. He got lost somewhere else. I love this. First of all, Max, you got to listen to those terms and conditions. <laughs> she accepted the terms and conditions, and ultimately that moment leads to her death uh, to Vecna, FYI. I mean, it's kind of dark, but at least he gives her the, you know, do you accept the risk? <laughs> in a couple then of years, you might snap at the bones. <laughs> <laughs> why Why does Lucas tell Max? Well, so by season two, Lucas has grown a bit emotionally. Whereas in season one, he was probably a bit jealous of Mike and Eleven. Didn't want to add anybody to the group. He's now older. Him and Dustin are now interested in girls. I mean, they're hitting mm -hmm. puberty. So, um, and I think he's he's more emotionally mature. I think that all allows him to see that Max can be trustworthy, but also that she requires trust to be able to open up to people too. Yeah, I definitely think there's definitely some boy-girl dynamic here. Same as, as why Dustin is keeping Dart around. He thinks this is going to impress Max. Right. Lucas also is like, I'd like this girl involved. <laughs> I'd like to be around her. But there's also an element of, she is a skeptic. <laughs> she is a pure skeptic. And he is last season's skeptic. So it's kind of like skeptic to skeptic. This, oh, yeah. This is, this is real, dude. <laughs> this is real. Yeah, that's totally right. And I love the moment when they when they're outside of the little arcade room and they're in the actual arcade and she starts talking about Eleven and stuff like that, he is dead serious yeah. that she shut up now because yeah. there is actual danger. And I think that goes a long way too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So when Lucas goes home and he finally gets the message from Erica, <laughs> there was <laughs> a code red uh, that Dart is a mini Demogorgon. Lucas is like, well, hey, this is perfect. Here's some proof for Max <laughs> and goes to her house to say, come along to the junkyard with us and you're going to get some proof. And in that junkyard, they have that connecting moment. I like mm -hmm. talking to you, Mad Max. I like talking to you too, stalker. You know, that, yeah. that wonderful scene at, atop the, um, the, is it a bus? Yeah, what is that? It's a, a bus. Yeah. The rusted out bus in the, in the, in the junkyard. Ultimately, Lucas is the victor of the love triangle uh -huh. at that point what what is it that connects lucas and max as the as the loser dustin later says what what gives them that electricity connection i think i think what allows them to connect is the fact that first he displays this immense loyalty to his friends mm. um by the fact that he doesn't initially divulge the will stuff to her um, so like she sees that perspective, but then he shows that he actually does trust her and has openness with her when he finally does reveal everything. 
So he makes it clear that he would tell no one else, mm. yet he tells her. So when they have that discussion in the junkyard, it allows her to be comfortable opening up to him. Mm. And his reaction to her that at that time when she does open up is total, complete acceptance. Wow. He shows her in that, that moment that she is safe with him. And this, I think, this is what allows them to become close. I totally agree that she feels safe with him because of the way that he has, has presented himself. I didn't really think about the fact that he's so good, you know, so loyal and so good at keeping his secrets and has demonstrated that to Max. I was thinking about the fact that he really has made no assumptions about the source of her anger or about the source of her sarcasm. And yeah. she, she kind of feels that. And it's kind of the opposite of what he does to Eleven in season one. That's true. <laughs> Where he tells himself a whole story about Eleven and has it all figured out. Because he hasn't like made a decision on why Max is so angry, then Max is able to fill that blank. And that's right. why they're such a good piece. We've talked about this before. That's why there's such a good piece of the puzzle there. Lucas is open to hear it. And Max is, you know, a badass. She's the, she's the opinionated one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so, and I do, I do think we get a little too deep with Lucas and Max, especially in season two, season three, you know, like, is it really a relationship? I feel like it's still pretty childish here. It's more of a deeper I mean, friendship. It is. It's a, it's more of a deep friendship that is being formed yeah. at this point, which is sort of reinforced by season three and their honestly childish relationship where they break <laughs> up five times. Um, so the junkyard trap doesn't go well in the sense that they almost die. But does go well in the sense that Max gets definitive proof that the Upside Down and the whole story right. is real. <laughs> um, they're going to follow the Demodogs back to the lab. Uh, and they get there and they meet with everybody at that point. Steve and Nancy are there. Hopper, Joyce, Mike, Will, they're all coming out of there. They learn of Bob's death. They're back to the buyer's house. They come out with the plan, close gate. And then the Demodogs are on their way to the house. Eleven saves them all. You know, even Lucas... He, I love that moment when the demodogs are coming and Hopper's got a gun, Nancy's got a gun, Steve's got his bat, and Lucas has got that wrist rocket and it is pulled back so tight. <laughs> He's got his wrist rocket ready to go. It does not get any use in season two. Uh, so Lucas, um, Eleven, of course, saves them. And then Lucas is on the bench with the kids, with Steve. But Billy, Billy, Damn it, Billy. arrives. And something we haven't talked about yet is that Billy has sort of been the thorn in the side for Lucas and Max uh -huh. throughout season two. He's an absolute horror show. When he when Billy beats Steve and gets into the house with just the kids, he attacks Lucas directly. I mean, he's like, you. And he just brings him back into the kitchen. Lucas gives a little crotch shot. And ultimately, Max is the one to save him. The whole Billy thing, it's... Do you think Billy is being racist about Lucas or is he just an oh, absolute bully? I definitely think there's racism there. I mean, I and he probably gets it from his dad who's a total asshole. But I think it's it's not just the racism. I think that also Billy wants Max to be miserable. And so I think part of him is like not wanting to her to have any friends. And she's noticing this connection specifically with Lucas. So he's like, oh, hell no. She's not allowed to have friends here. If yeah. I'm going to be miserable, she's going to be miserable. Totally agreed. He, there's definitely racism. He's an 80s bully. They're all racist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I know it sucks, 
but 21st century 1980s bully is racist. Uh Casually, frighteningly, appropriately racist. That is how the world was. It was worse before that. and, and Appropriately it continu- portrayed, you mean. Appro- appropriately portrayed, yeah, thank you. But I also think that Billy's true motivation, as you said, is for Max to be as unhappy <laughs> as he is. Yeah, exactly. And she stabs him with the sedative and <laughs> drives uh, Steve's car out to the pumpkin patch. Zoomer Max, Lucas is there to cheer her on, and the bench warmers distract the demodogs in the tunnel and the plans all work and season two has a happy ending as well. Yay! Ends with the snowball. Woo! <laughs> oh, the snowball. Yeah. I, Lucas's attempts to ask Max to dance are, are horrific. <laughs> I mean, there's like 15 of them and he's never, he's so far he has not yet asked her to dance. How many more was he going to go through <laughs> before <laughs> Max? Because Max bailed him out. Are you asking uh, me to yeah, dance? Yeah, absolutely she did. <laughs> But I love that. I love that adolescent nervousness. And ultimately, he's there. He's he's trying. <laughs> All right. Season three. The teenage wasteland. Lucas has now been dating Max in the an honestly clumsy <laughs> teenage way. Adolescent way. And broken up five times. And every time I have crawled back. <laughs> uh, and he's on, he's on shaky ground anyway. We see their relationship. Is that a zit? You know, right. <laughs> no girl is perfect. Oh, except for you're perfect. You know, it's 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 clumsy. It's fun. It's cute. It's it's yeah. summer it's what love. You expect at that age. I know, and I love that. Yeah. Uh, and then when Mike lies to his girlfriend and he turns to Lucas, you know, the one year relationship <laughs> man that who has all the advice in the world, uh-huh. Lucas advises him. Uh, in how would you say Lucas's advice? How would you rate Lucas's <laughs> oh advice gosh. to Mike? <laughs> you know, I'm gonna give it a four out of ten, uh, because he is trying to be thoughtful. I mean, like thinking that a gift might make a girl happy. This is obviously just like super naive. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you can't fault him. They're just kids. This is his first relationship. Yeah. They're how old are they at this point? I think they're fourteen. At- at yeah, this point. they don't know. They don't know the way the world works yet. Mm-hmm. So this is like very realistic. I I like it. It's terrible advice, but it's sweet and it's from the heart. Yeah, I gave Lucas a D minus because we <laughs> didn't we didn't coordinate our uh, <laughs> our grading scales. Our, yeah, you're a four to ten. I'm a D minus, <laughs> which is about about equivalent. Yeah, he's right about one thing. You shouldn't have lied. That's what he says to Mike. But then all this other stuff, like girls aren't ruled by logic. You got to go get a gift because I don't know why. It just doesn't. She's just randomly angry sometimes. So you have to do stuff that's just all like he he really (laughs) does not understand. No. And then Lucas joins in on the lie. Uh-huh. When they get confronted at the mall, he's like, "Yeah, Nana is sick." <laughs> like, yeah, Lucas, come on. Why? And Max is just rolling her eyes. It's like not even about them. God. She's just like, "Oh my god." Uh, well, they fi- they don't find a gift. Mike gets his ass dumped. <laughs> yep. And they're continuing worrying about girls. They're ignoring Will's pleas for Dungeons and Dragons. Trying to have a Fourth of July summer here, and I do like the moment when when Will storms out. Right. Because he really gives it a go. And well, I can't wait to talk about that in the Will episode. And uh, to play Dungeons and Dragons. Mike and Will, of course, have their friction. Lucas and Will also have their friction. You know, Lucas tries to apologize to Will in the in the sauna, saying, you know, hey, like, I, I'm really sorry. You know, it was a cool campaign. I I like that that the 
the meme is that Will loves Dungeons and Dragons and Lucas and Mike and Mike don't. But that's not really what it was. No, they're just caught up in girls. Exactly. And it, so none of it was about Dungeons and Dragons. No. It was all about them being misaligned with Will. They're on to girls and Will isn't. And Lucas does try to apologize to Will, which I think is really great. And an overlooked relationship yeah. in Stranger Things. I I don't know that I have much more to say about this, but Lucas and Will, their relationship in Stranger Things is is interesting to me. And that we ha- we got one little scene in the sauna test about it. We should get more. Agreed. Uh, so they alert Eleven. They alert Max that Billy is flayed. They confirm it with a sauna test. They join with Nancy and Jonathan. They go to the hospital to release Mrs. Driscoll. God. Max and Lucas get, get a little reconnect there at the, at the lobby, throwing Skittles to each other. And then at the cabin, Eleven finds Billy. The meat flayer finds them. And we're off into the climax of, of season three. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whirlwind of season three. Honestly, Absolutely. Lucas not... Not that much to do in season three. No, I mean, he does have, oh gosh, he does have some shining moments, though. Yeah, yeah the, in the action, I agree. So in the fight against the meat flare at the cabin, at the mall, Lucas does quite a bit of work. What do you think is his best contribution? So he... Let's he, see, like, yeah, what does he do? So he axes off the meat flare tentacle as it bites Eleven oh, in right, the cabin. Yeah. He, like, Jonathan's thrown to the floor, as usual. As uh, usual. <laughs> and it's Lucas who's the one just taking that axe and gets, yeah. that, gets that tentacle off of him. Then he is in the lobby of the, the, the food court or the Star Court Mall, and Mike, Eleven, and Max are in the gap, and the meat flare's got his tentacles in there. He is the one who distracts the meat flare with oh, the with the right. wrist rocket. Yeah. He shoots a balloon, which by the way, can I point out, he is super accurate with that thing. Yeah, he's got <laughs> great aim. And then his fireworks plan. His fireworks plan that he takes all the fireworks from the grocery store and that occupies the mind flare in the food court as he's got 11 at the altar there and stuff like that and ultimately buys them the time to to save that. So Lucas well, does quite a bit in this last little bit. This one. Okay, you <laughs> said, like, what's the best contribution? Yeah, which one's his it's best? It's 1,000% the fireworks okay. display. <laughs> I mean, especially because Max was, like, rolling her eyes that he was getting these fireworks in the first <laughs> place. My plan, but that is really, I mean, his forethought to collect all those fireworks literally bought them all the time <laughs> they needed for the gate to be closed. If not for that, they very well could be dead mm. so like that was super instrumental i totally agree though it only really buys a couple minutes so i guess i don't totally agree but they needed those couple minutes they needed those couple minutes <sighs> just for the sake of being different i'm gonna say the wrist rocket distraction he makes the, that's his most important contribution he makes that decision himself he implements it himself and he performs it exactly himself and ultimately saves them from a jam what were they gonna do you saw what the meat player did to that 11 mannequin <laughs> god that was good. an evil laugh sorry yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't really want anything bad to happen to 11 i just want to make that clear the fireworks were cool the fireworks made for great visuals and oh, did, heck yeah. did save there but yeah i think lucas does a lot down the stretch yeah he does joyce closes the gate the day is saved Three months later, Lucas and Max are helping pack up, singing never-ending story. <laughs> Love that part. <laughs> and we think, okay, once again, the day is saved, and we're feeling all warm and fuzzy as season three comes to a close. 
and Enter then season, season four, four. <laughs> <laughs> where things have taken a darker turn. So from what so Fourth of July is the Battle of Starcourt. They're singing Neverending Story three months later, so that's more like September. And then we come back around all the way to March or April or whatever that is to start season four. Lucas and Max have broken up in that time. And not only that, their friendship is gone as well. Max mm-hmm. is just fading away. Lucas says, it's like you're not even here. And, and they're in high school by this point. They're in point. high school, yep. This is when I feel like the show becomes more adult. I mean, it like really starts to grow with them. Yeah. I would say that is correct by the very nature of linear time as well. Uh, <laughs> but I. Sorry, do go on. <laughs> Lucas is on the varsity basketball team. He's more on the bench. He's got this championship game that's getting in the way of the Hellfire Club, which is the Dungeons and Dragons high school club they've joined with Mike, Dustin, and Lucas. And, and they. Eddie. <laughs> and Eddie. And ultimately, they have some conflict, some scheduling conflict here at the beginning of season four the point if i get in good with these guys i'll be in the popular crowd and then you guys will be too has it ever occurred to you that we don't want to be popular so you want to be stuck with the nerds and freaks for three more years we are nerds and freaks yeah but maybe we don't have to be look i'm tired of being bullied i'm tired of girls laughing at us i'm tired of feeling like a loser we came to high school wanting i feel really bad for Lucas in this moment. He's got this other hobby. The others don't have any interest in sports. But not only that, like, okay, everybody wants to be accepted, especially when you're in high school. You want to be cool. You want to fit in. And Lucas sees this as his chance. Rather than turn away from his friends, he also wants to use it to make them all cool, too. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like, they don't care. They like are fine being nerdy because they are nerdy. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I, it just makes me really sad. It's super unfortunate that the game clashes with their D&D at this point. But I kind of agree with Lucas. Like, his commitment to basketball should come before D&D. Yeah. Well, I mean, basketball tournaments, the way they work is had they not come back from 10, they wouldn't have had a game today. So there was no way for Lucas to to say this beforehand. Right. And I feel like Mike and Dustin just yeah, don't get that. Mike reacts so badly, I feel like. He's showing no support for Lucas in this moment. And then coupled with the fact that Lucas not only has lost Max, who he loves, but he's now feeling like he could be losing his best friends. I just like, I don't know. The, yeah. This is when I start to really connect with Lucas. Well, I think Lucas has always been the most driven of the of the three. Yeah. You know, I'm actually reminded of the beginning of season two where they're getting their quarters for the arcade and Mike is stealing from Nancy's piggy bank and <laughs> Dustin is checking the couch cushions. Last minute. Lucas has been mowing old Mr. Humphrey's yard for uh-huh. quarters. He's always the one who has been more organized and more accountable and responsible. They are they are accepting of what has happened, and he's like, no, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think that friction is real, and yeah. I was really glad to see that scene. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I think he kind of comes back to them, seeing that what he is wanting, the ambition, what he is am- ambitioning for, is that the right <laughs> phrase? What he's ambitioning for is hollow and weak and pointless, yeah. and, w- and of course we'll get to that. But 
Before that, he hits the game-winning shot. <laughs> As Erica rolls the game-winning roll, awesome little moment for the Sinclair brother and sister. Yeah. I I absolutely loved that Erica got her moment. We don't really we don't have an Erica episode here, but Lucas and Erica just friction all the time. I know. I like that moment too. Yeah, and they're and they're both having their triumphant moments at at Sinclair's crushing it. <laughs> uh and they Jason and the team, ironically, Lucas, by making the game-winning shot, is less able to get away from Jason and the others. Right, right. Uh, and so he's with them when they find out about Chrissy's death. And he's part of the hunt for Eddie because Jason has decided Eddie is the one who did it, uh, for sure, without any evidence or anything. And Lucas ultimately seems like he's going along with them, but ultimately does trick them, abandon them at the cabin, and Bikes eight miles back to the school to say, Dustin, Jason's on his way and he is going to hurt you. And that's that loyalty and commitment that you see in Lucas. And then he learns that Max is in Vecna danger. Because mm. Dustin says that that seems bad, but we got something worse. Yeah. Yeah. And so Max starts writing these letters to everybody. And like Lucas is like, oh, my gosh, like. She could die. So yeah, he's, they are operating as if this is her last day. Yeah. So he's like super fearful for her. He loves her. And she's obviously in real danger of being killed like the others. Snap of the bones. <laughs> um, but also Lucas knows that Max is being eaten up by her emotions, her guilt. Even if he doesn't fully understand it at this point, he really he wants to help her so bad. But he's unable to unless she's willing to open up. Um, but God, he shows so much love for Max in these moments. And he has shown that throughout this season. And it's just so precious to see. Like, I just became so connected with Lucas in season four. He becomes one of my favorite characters, honestly, through all of this. Uh, his portrayal of the love and um, loyalty and commitment to Max he shows through the entire season is just, it's, it's just so incredible. He's calling her on the hardest thing to call her on, which is, I don't want a letter. Yeah. You talk to me. Yeah. You know, every, if you, if you have these emotions and you're, you know, out right so far, all you've said is shut up and just don't worry about it. That's all she's actually said. Yeah. And there's going to be some letter with all the emotions. We need to talk now. And I, he, that is so hard. Like I'm to say here that to somebody. for you. And he literally says that. Yeah. He literally says, I know right something here. is wrong. Talk to me. And I love after Patrick dies, he's later like, I should have done more. I, should, I didn't do enough. I, I got to say, if, if you have a friend struggling with depression and you do the things that Lucas did, you're doing enough. Yeah. Say it out loud in a, in a non-judgmental way and say that you were, re you were there for them. Yeah. Make sure they know that you're available to support them. And when Max levitates, she is saved by Kate Bush. And Lucas becomes a Kate Bush fan and is really kind of following a Mac, Max around, uh, you know, with with care and compassion. And yeah. she has a new lease on life as they discover stuff at the Creel house and they find Watergate and they plot to get the teens out of the upside down. Nancy's brush with Vecna. Na Nancy has her brush with Vecna. Then Nancy's like, well, we got to go kill Vecna. <laughs> and Max says she's the bait. And Lucas's role is to basically be the bait handler. <laughs> <laughs> and to be with Max while she waits uh, to become the bait for Vecna. 
and as they ride, their relationship or their uh, their friendship or their conversations finally start to happen as they ride in that RV. Mm-hmm. Because although Lucas wants to go get another kid, Max says she's got a plan. You got a memory in mind? Yeah. It was a time when I was happiest. Was I there? It's presumptuous of you. But yeah. I love that line. That's presumptuous of you. And call back to the Halloween. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I just, the love and fear that Lucas has for her in this scene is so touching. He wants to protect her so bad because he knows there's a good chance he could literally lose her forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but also knows that she's likely right. That this is what has to be done. And even though they've been broken up for the last year, the fact that he doesn't keep pushing against her plan shows that he trusts and respects her. The moment when he asks if he's going to be in her happy memory, oh my gosh, that's so sweet. It's like he's given this glimmer of hope. But I mean, also that love that he shows through the entirety of season four, it's not just his urge to be dating her again that he feels... It's that he wants her to be happy and safe. Like that is where all of it's coming from. And that shows such an incredible maturity for someone his age. It's like super impressive and so sweet. And I think of all the characters to pull this off, Lucas is the one that is able to do it the best. I love that. And ultimately, I think this is the start of a real relationship for Max and Lucas. Of course, Little bit of a hitch in that she <laughs> dies later and then is resuscitated back to life and in a coma. But this is the first start of a of a deeper emotional level for right. them. Right. Yeah. Agreed. One hundred percent. So they post up at the Creel house. They're waiting for the signal, right? For uh, for Max to take off the Kate Bush headphones and and bait Vecna. And Lucas asks Max out on a date via Pictionary. That's there, so a great sweet. scene. Uh, she says yes which I think is is telling enough of what we were just talking about. Uh-huh. Erica lights the beacon, and Max is taken no. by Vecna. God. Now, m- we don't see everything. Right. If, if, we're, if we're doing this through Lucas's eyes, we don't see everything that happens in Max's mind there, her whole confession and, uh-huh. and her conversation with Vecna Lucas. All Lucas sees is Max go into the trance, and then Jason shows up. God, and worst this, timing ever. Yeah, and Jason does come in on a little bit of a peculiar scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, Lucas is more so than angry or combative. He's just disappointed so in disappointed. Jason. And what do you what do you think that Lucas is truly feeling about Jason? Why does he say that? Why well, is he, I used to want to be you? Why is he so disappointed? I mean, all this time, I think Lucas has looked up to Jason as his model figure of leadership. He comes off as this super supportive uh, person of the team of of his friends of the school. Someone you ju- someone who just appears to want to do good but as jason delves deeper into his like really it's an an obsession with taking eddie down lucas is able to see how he truly is jason only cares about his idea of good things Mm -hmm. and he's 
unwilling to be reasoned with no matter what he doesn't care about other paper people he only he like he just becomes this crazed obsessed person and that i think is like what lucas is like so disappointed of it it shatters that picture exactly from the first episode he's thinking there's a there's a better level to be a better level of people to be but he sees that jason i mean he calls him a psychopath but Jason also, he is completely, completely wrong. Yeah. He does, Jason does everything on the assumption that Chrissy was not buying drugs. Right. Chrissy was buying drugs. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely she was. (laughs) But he is, he is basing everything on Uh that and creating whole webs of stories. At first it's not supernatural. Then it is supernatural because he's building all these things on this false, he's wrong. Uh-huh. She was buying and, drugs. And he can't admit or see because, that he's wrong. Exactly. He's going so far. He, Jason is the cult leader. Really, the actor who plays Jason has talked about this, but he riles up his followers. He gives them that false you know, sense of, of righteousness and stuff like that. But Lucas ultimately is paying off that first conversation in the first episode. Right. He thought there was something better. And you know, Mike and Dustin, they're kind of right. It's okay to be a nerd. Yeah. Makes it Jason makes everything about himself. But yep. they get in this fight and it's a brutal fight. And Lucas isn't really winning it. No. It doesn't seem like he's gonna win it. Yeah, you're really not sure what's gonna happen here. Because so Jason's a senior, right? So yep. Luke is a freshman, Jason's a senior. I'll be he's Lucas is a freshman who can make the varsity team. So he's he's at least athletic and, and good enough to do that. But um he eventually wins. Because Max is levitating and he just accesses something deep in his basically. soul. Lucas defeats Jason. Max levitates, <laughs> but gets some legs, some arms, some eyes <laughs> popped, <laughs> and she dies there. And Eleven yeah. brings her back to life, which Lucas does not know, right? Lucas doesn't know why Max's heart started again. Right, right. Um, and then Lucas is with Max at the hospital, presumably the full two days And, you know, I've brought this up so many times, but this scene, Caleb McLaughlin's acting is so phenomenal. He just pulls you in. You literally feel what he is feeling as Max's body begins to break. And then when they're brought to Max's hospital bedside and he's there, he's reading to her. Damn. I mean, you just feel his love for her, his pain for her. It's so beautifully written. And Caleb McLaughlin acts it out so perfectly. I just like I, this is when I was like, man, Lucas, you're one of my favorite characters. Reading the talisman to Max in the hospital. Yeah, That's and you've explained that to me before. Will you explain that one more time? The Duffer Brothers are producing a a uh, movie adaptation of the Talisman coming soon to Netflix. What? But what is the talisman? Oh, it's a whole story, and yeah, I have explained it, so you'll have to go back and listen uh, to when we <laughs> talked about that. Listeners, we you'll have to go back as yeah, well. We only have two or three minutes left on this episode, but it's a great story. Um, so then, the game is over. <laughs> season four <laughs> is over. What the heck is going to happen in season five for Lucas? Because we we both want a time jump, right? Right. right. But what what exactly? I mean, what is that going to mean for Lucas? He's not just going to hang out with Max in a coma for, for like multiple years, right? I I actually 
actually disagree with this. I think that he would do that. I think he is so committed to Max that he would never, ever give up on her. So if there is a time jump, I could see him, you know, visiting her regularly the whole time, Mm -hmm. reading to her, bringing her flowers, just basically letting her know that he's there and he'll never give up on her. I could totally see this plausibly happening. I could see Lucas becoming the Max of the next season and going into some depression and stuff like that. So, I mean, he's he's done. He's not wanting to be popular anymore, right? He's no. super disappointed in that world and stuff like that. I could see him dealing with some some darker stuff, which we really haven't seen. Lucas, I mean, doing these character episodes, you know, I, I, I've loved doing them, but this is kind of the lightest one. You know, there's not a lot, lot here. There's There's some. But compared to Nancy, compared season to four, compared though. to Max, compared to Joyce, it's season four, yeah. But I don't know. I, there's much more meat on the bone with Lucas. Yeah, I don't know. I just see him as never giving up on her. That's uh, that's what I see happening. Yeah. Also, we could see a little, maybe a little bit more of Lucas and Erica. Yeah, God, bring Erica more into it. I'm loving her. Where I thought you were going with with that is uh, with the uh, the final scene there, where he calls out for Erica. You know, it's right. the really the only <laughs> time throughout the entire series that they have ever seriously talked with God, each other. <laughs> you're right. That is true. Like that they've actually taken each other seriously. Yeah. Oh, I so like there, that. there could Dynamic. be something there. That's also why I want a time jump because we can't. I mean, the actress who plays Erica cannot play Erica one year later. No. I mean, she's she's like 18. She's supposed to be playing a 12-year-old. Like, <laughs> I, I, we just we need a little bit of a time jump. And it's possible. It's possible. Why? Because if the military has one flamethrower, they've got that crack under control. Because <laughs> the hive mind, payball. Uh, <laughs> any final thoughts on Lucas? Just that, you know, I love him. He's a great character. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll be back for our seventh character, which will be Dusty Bear, Dustin Henderson. All right. Good night. Uh, My name is Miles. I'm Kathleen. Good night.